Hey guys, Brian here from The Business Machine. Real quick, um, Lisa Lauder is on the show next and she is just an awesome entrepreneur. She's sold million dollar companies, she's uh, written a book and she really has practical advice for you as a business owner and it's you know it's not one of those young coaches that are online doing online marketing you know she has a company and employees and she has worked with businesses for the last 10 years um, helping them do strategies marketing strategies and get their business in order so ceos business owners men and women out there right now this would be a really good one to listen to the entire show so enjoy this is The Business Machine. We talk with small business owners and entrepreneurs to get their advice on how they run their machines. These inspirational leaders share with us some of the tools they use to run their machines and talk about some of the mistakes they made along the way and what they learned. As business owners, we're all trying to fuel our machines, create a great team and put tools in place so that eventually our machines will run themselves. So get ready. Up next, The Business Machine is firing up. Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Business Machine. I'm Brian Town, your host of The Business Machine and CEO of Michigan Creative. I'm glad to have you here, and I'm excited to have our next guest on the show, all the way from Nova Scotia, Canada. Lisa Larder is a high school dropout who worked her way up the corporate ladder until her entrepreneurial spirit took over in 2006. Since then, Lisa has built and sold companies and generated millions of dollars of sales, and she spends the bulk of her time helping others develop strategies for building profitable businesses. So this one, is for you guys and it's for us here at Michigan Creative so we're going to use this as our our success story too. Lisa, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Really good. Really good. I'm really excited to talk to you. I know we kept moving it back and then so I was really excited about today and so somebody comes up to you in Nova Scotia. We were talking earlier um, off air <laughs> here how it's probably not very many people are going to go to the where you're at and I want to talk about that but when somebody comes up to you in your town and and uh, the co-working space maybe and they say hey lisa what do you do what do you tell them i tell them that i help business owners with sales and marketing strategies so that they can you know expand their businesses because if i get into a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff that i do people glaze right. over <laughs> you do what yeah. <laughs> so in the simplest form that is what i do i help people with sales and marketing so that they can build successful businesses I was watching a few videos that you talked about, and you, one of them, I think it's on your about page, you spoke specifically about coaches and picking the right coach and how you were looking for a coach. And there's a lot of these coaches, and I'm doing air quotes right now, that are out there right now, um, that you know, may, maybe some of them are like 22. I don't know how they're doing it. But um, you have the experience, you have the resume for that, but what do you look for in a coach? And, and I don't know if you consider yourself a coach as much as you do somebody that's got you know, a business developer, things like that, but what am I looking for in somebody? What should I be looking for? And how do I know that you're the right one to get me to where I need to in my business? Because it's, you know, all of our businesses are different. Exactly. So I think, you know, the first thing that I always tell people before you hire a coach is you have to ask yourself, are you coachable? Because a lot of times people are looking for a business coach because they think that that's what they should do. And there's a little bit of cachet associated with having a coach, but you're not really committed to the growth of your business. You're just looking for somebody to basically validate what you're doing. You're not willing to get uncomfortable and do what it takes to take your business to the next level. So before you pick a coach, you have to ask yourself, am 
am I coachable? Am I willing to listen to the advice of the person that I hire to help me build my business? And then when I'm looking for a coach, I'm always looking for somebody who's done what I aspire to do. So the coach that I work with has generated multiple million dollars in sales on an annual basis for a long time. And they have done it through coaching. They've done it through consulting. They've done it through online programs. And they've done it through high-level really intimate events. And I like that model and I like the work that he's done. And he challenges me to think about my business in different terms. So the first thing that I would say is you need to find somebody who really does have the credibility. They've done what you want to do. And then the second thing I would say is you have to resonate with that person. If you don't like your coach, then chances are you're not going to trust the advice that they give you. And so I think a lot of times people hire coaches based on a micro celebrity appeal and they might not even like the person. They might not really understand what their background is or what their values are or what the coaching relationship is going to be. They're, they're basically buying into hype instead of skill. Yeah. And so I think you have to ask yourself, do they have the skills and abilities and talents that you aspire to have in your business? And do you resonate with them? Uh, and if you do resonate with them and you're willing to do the work and they've got the chops to, to help you do what you want to do, then that's that's what you should be looking for. And so people who work with me, a lot of times they like the fact that I'm a high school dropout and I'm self-made. They like the fact that I am direct and that I am strategic and I see the places where they're leaving money on the table and I'm able to inspire them to do the things that they are not comfortable doing on their own. And it, it really does take a special person. And I'm not saying I'm a special person, but when you're working with somebody, you've got to work with somebody that knows how to finesse things a certain way that you actually will take action. Because people can tell you, oh, you need to go do video as an example. But if you just absolutely hate the video camera, you're not going to do it. That's right. So they have got to be able to say, you've got to do video. Let's figure out what's holding you back. Let's do one together. Let's do it in a safe environment where you don't feel exposed and help you go from that unconscious, incompetent state to being consciously competent and, and establishing confidence in what you're doing. Yeah. And I think a lot of this, and, and I'm sure you asked this of, of your potential um, clients that you're going to work with. And we've gone through two business coaches and, and honestly, I'll tell you, it, it wasn't their fault that it didn't work. It was our fault that it didn't work because the first one, the minute that they said, Hey, these, you know, you're not doing these things right. And, and you should be here. And this is like, you know, you don't do it this way. We're like, oh my gosh, we know what we're doing. We're going to do it this way. <laughs> and so we're like, that coach doesn't know what he's talking about, which is totally wrong. And and, and he was right. And we, we just weren't ready for it yet. And the second guy, we just didn't do the work that he asked. And, mm -hmm. and you know, it's kind of like when you join a networking group or when you join the chamber, I think the chamber is the best example. Our chamber here locally is awesome. Um, and some people say, eh, it doesn't really do anything for me, but I'm like, are you involved? Are, are you doing things? Are you, do you volunteer at chamber events? Do you go to chamber events? 
do you know the people on the chamber board? And most of the time their question is no. And, and when you do that and when you are involved, you get so much more out of it. And so this next coach that we just just hired, you know, we as a staff has, have made it a point to we are going to work our butts off for this guy. Um, he's going to push us, and he interviewed us more than we interviewed him. So mm-hmm. what are the questions that you're asking the business owner? Because you're not going to just – you're not going to just take somebody because they say, hey, I want, I want to hire you. And there's got to be some sort of interview process that you're like, I want to work with these guys, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Path of Least Resistance for Managers by Robert Fritz. But he talks in that book about your desired state and your current reality. And if you envision an elastic band that's being pulled really, really tight, your desired state is at the top of the band and your current reality is at the bottom. And the only way that you can eliminate the tension is either either to lower your standards from the top or move your current reality closer to your desired state. And so when I talk to people, I always want to understand what their desired state is. And I always want to understand what their current reality is. Because when I understand what the end game is and where they want to go, and I understand where they are right now, then it's very easy for me to identify the gap. And when I identify the gap, I can ask some pretty pointed questions to get a sense of what their willingness to learn is like and what their knowledge of business is like. People who work with me privately invest Twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars a year to work with me, and so I'm not going to take somebody on who is in startup mode, who's got to basically mortgage their house to work with me, and they have no concept of what business is about. I'm going to put them in a different place with a, a smaller investment and let them grow and move towards working with me privately and and basically prove themselves before I bring them into that space. So that process of asking where they want to end up and where they are really helps me to identify a lot of insights about the person who's interested in working with me. Yeah. And, that, and that's a you know big thing. We took on a, a pretty big, um, you know, this was a, it's going to be a big coach for us. And, and we knew that we have to do something uh, with our sales process. And that's why we hired this company to do that. Cause we just don't have a sales process and we need one. So, you know, it's funny and I shouldn't say this on air, but and I'm sure you've heard this before, but you know we're a marketing company, we're an advertising firm, and, and we almost want to pay pay another advertising company to advertise ourselves. <laughs> that that makes complete sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I have clients that my team, you know, I'd say we're a little bit of a boutique agency in the sense that I have some clients over the years that have just said, "You just do it better. Can we hire you to do it?" And right. I have a team that does some implementation uh, for some of our clients and. I actually have somebody that I've hired on my team to do all of the sales and marketing specifically for my business because I get so busy working in the business and on the business that I don't always do the marketing that I tell my clients they should (laughs) do as consistently as possible. Right. You know, like we always tell our clients, you should have a a video on every page of your website and you should do a video a day and start looking at our stuff. We're like, "Uh oh, and so we had to really step up our game a little bit too. So let's, yeah. say, let's go back and, and tell me that story. I, I want to hear when you're like, all right, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to start my own company. You know, I want to know about that, and how did you come to that decision, and how was that first year, that first two years? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Well, 
I worked for a large wireless telecommunications company in Canada. And in 2006, I was at a crossroads. I had worked with them for nine years. It was an amazing company. I had an amazing run with them. And I had kind of reached my glass ceiling. I was a woman. I was a high school dropout. And I was tired of traveling across the country every single week. And so I knew I was looking for an advancement in my job. I knew that I aspired to be an entrepreneur, but I wasn't quite sure if I was ready to walk away from a six-figure income with a lot of autonomy to start a business. And one day, a colleague of mine said, why don't you open a dealership? And so the the company that I worked for had five sales channels. They had corporately owned retail, B2B, uh, direct fulfillment, third-party retail, and independent retail, which was dealers that owned their own businesses. And not a franchise, a dealer model. And a dealer model, you essentially create your own playbook. You're repping their brand, so you get paid for selling their product versus the franchise model, which is the opposite. You pay the franchise a percentage. And I went home and I said to my husband that, you know, this guy Mark says, oh, you should open a dealer model. And my husband said to me, yeah, let's do it. And so I kind of sat on it for a little bit and then I decided that I was interested. And of course, I reached out to the person in charge of the dealer channel and I said, I want to open a store. This is where I want to open it. And he said to me, oh man, I wish you'd reached out to me two weeks earlier. The RFP for that closes on Friday. Oh no. (laughs) And... But I have a couple other locations that you could buy if you wanted. I don't want to buy somebody's sloppy seconds that they want out of. I want to open my own store. I don't want it to be a certain way. And I have very high standards coming from the corporately owned retail side of the business. And so I did what any smart woman would do. I escalated and I went directly to the vice president in charge of the channel and said, this is what I want to do. But I'm being told that the RFP closes Friday, which is tomorrow. And, uh, how do I get an extension? (laughs) And interestingly enough, I got a phone call that afternoon and I was given a one week extension to submit my RFP. And so I, I was awarded the location. I was awarded everything that I asked for in the RFP that I was told I would never get. And I opened my store in November thinking that I needed to operate it like a corporately owned store. And by February, I owed $100,000 for inventory that I hadn't sold, and I was lying awake at night looking at the ceilings trying to figure out how the hell do you tell your husband that you're on the verge of bankruptcy? Oh, my God. I I, I know what that feels like. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So I ate some humble pie. I called the accounts receivable department, and I found out that there's this thing called restocking, and you can send inventory back once a year without a restocking fee fee and I was able to balance my inventory and balance my financial mess and get myself out of that hot water. But I learned very quickly that I needed to master cash flow. When you work for a big corporation, you're in charge of sales and you understand
land expenses in the P&L, but you don't have direct exposure to cash flow. And cash flow is more important than customers. Cash flow will kill you. And it took me a year to really understand how to manage my cash flow and go from being, you know, $30,000 into my credit line every two weeks to actually building a significant bank balance and getting the business ready to be able to sell. And so within two years of me running the business, people started asking me, you know, you spoke about Chamber of Commerce. I was involved in every networking organization that the city offered. And of course, I went from being a member to being on the board to being a speaker and talking about what I knew about business and everybody wanted to learn what I knew how to do. And so by 2008, I was basically working one day a week in my Lisa Larder consulting business and four days a week in my retail store. And by 2010, it was the opposite. So in 2012, I sold that business because I had essentially been an absentee owner for two years. And we moved about $1.3 million a year in cell phone hardware and accessories. And I knew that being an absentee owner was going to catch up to me at some point and that my cell phones were going to grow feet and walk. And so I exited the business and um, I haven't looked back since. Hey everybody, this week's episode is also sponsored by Freshwater Apparel. Check out freshwaterapparel.com, that's freshwaterapparel.com, and check out their spring collection of t-shirts, and soon beanies are going to be on the way. We love these guys over at Freshwater. It's a Midwest clothing company, and they make all their products in Lansing, Michigan, and the shirts are 100% made in america so you can't beat that so if you love fresh water like we do here at michigan creative you should definitely check out their site lots more coming but right now they have t-shirts and tanks for both men and women like i said before beanies are coming stickers all that stuff so check out freshwaterapparel.com and get fresh back to the show from there moving forward let's talk about 10 years from now let's talk you know i know that's a lifetime in our business and technology Yesterday uh, was my 10-year anniversary. That's a, really congratulations. So give give me that next 10. What what does 2027 look like for you? And, and I know it's far away, but you know, as entrepreneurs and business owners, I think it's it's fun and I think it's useful to to kind of put that exercise in place. Like I, I want to be this size and I want to be doing this. But you know, just fly me through what it looks like. What are you going to be doing in 10 years? What do you hope to be? Well, in 10 years, I'm hoping to be generating three to $5 million a year in sales. I'm hoping that a large percentage of that is passive income from books and programs and that I do regular speaking and events, that I'm doing less one-on-one coaching and that I'm working more with groups of people. I really want to be able to make an impact on a lot of people's lives and there's only so many hours in a day that you can work with people one-on-one. And so over time, I'm hoping to scale the business and do less one-on-one work and more work that impacts a larger uh, group of people. I believe that I am really able to support women in terms of business. A lot of women are not comfortable with money. They're not comfortable with selling. They don't understand the metrics in business. And I really believe that I can help women with those three things so that they can build 
profitable, sustainable businesses and that that's what I'm meant to do in this world. So that's kind of where I think I'll be in 10 years from now. So when talking about that, and, and you were pretty good at this at the wireless company, um, but it's important to be involved in your business and, and know what's going on. But as a, as an owner and a CEO, you have to be able to, you know, we, we, we talk about it like a machine. Like we, we have to be very efficient in what we do. And, and when we're not there, somehow we're able to keep that machine running. So what are some things that you suggest to your business owners, especially CEOs, presidents, um, businessmen and women that are running companies? What do you tell them? Because that's always hard because I think as a, as a, especially as a new entrepreneur, you want to be involved in everything. You think you have to do everything. But essentially what you need to be doing is, that, is being the face and the leader of the company. So how do you do that? How do you make sure that you know, your machine, your business is running on its own um, when you're not there every single well, first of all, I think you have to stop buying into the internet marketers out there that are telling you that you can run a million dollar business right. with one part time employee because that's just BS. Right. Uh, I think you if you want to run a serious company, you need to model your company structure after a corporation. So you need people who are in charge of operations. You need people who are in charge of finance and people who are in charge of sales and marketing. You need a team of people that can actually do the work and you need a layer of leaders that can help you. You know, in my team, I have a manager who is in charge of all of our implementation services and her strength is project management. So she literally manages every single task that needs to get done in the business. And then on the Lisa Larder side of things, where it's, you know, working with Lisa privately and my programs and events and books and all that kind of stuff, I have um, someone on my team who is responsible for all of the sales and marketing and automation that we need to do. I have someone who is an office uh, administrator who helps me with all the day-to-day -day things that are not a good use of my time. So I think- Is that Diane? That's who I got uh, Diana is the one who is in charge of sales and marketing yeah. and Rose is in charge of the office administration. I literally just hired Rose about a month ago because Diana was doing both. And what I realized is that we weren't getting everything done. And in order for me to continue to grow the business and, and increase the revenues, I needed more bandwidth. So I invested in Rose to help buy us bandwidth so that we can, like I am literally today, I'm taking a break to do this with you, but we are in a business strategy session all day today and we are planning out everything that we're doing next year, what months we're delivering programs, what months we're marketing, where the revenue's coming from and who's gonna do what to make that happen. And I think that that's where business owners get tripped up is they, they work in their business and they try to be all things to all people. They don't know how to delegate. Yeah. They don't know how to follow up. They don't know how to let go. They're hiring the cheapest resources instead of the right resources. And then their businesses can't grow. I, you know, I have Crohn's disease. And last year I had a bowel obstruction. So in the end of 2014, we moved to Nova Scotia. So 2015 was my first year living in Nova Scotia. And in May, I ended up in the hospital for two or three weeks, I ended up out of the office for almost two months and I grew the business by 20% last year. That happened because I had a team that just basically took over. 
Oh, Lisa's sick. All right. We're going to reach out to the clients. We're going to reschedule everything. We're going to make sure that we don't drop any balls. We're going to make sure that, and the timing, I thought somebody had processed a fraudulent transaction on my credit card. So I literally had canceled my business credit card the night before I ended up in the hospital. Somebody on my team put their credit card in for all the things that we pay for. Like we didn't skip a beat. And that's what you want in your business. You want to know that you can go dark or you can go to Europe for three weeks on vacation and your team's got it covered. Yeah. But in, I, in I order, think that's the best feeling that you can ever have. And, and it's also for me sometimes the worst because then like if I go away for a couple of days and everything runs fine and all these great things happen, I'm like, oh my God, my team is so great. And I'm like, wait a minute, they don't need me. <laughs> I love it. That is a beautiful thing. That's what I want. I, I literally just said to my guys this morning, I said, I need to start behaving less like an employee and more like the CEO. And what that means is I don't need to be here nine to five every day. And I'm going to start taking Fridays off like I've always said I was going to. And I'm going to start giving you guys more autonomy to get more things done because I'm 46 years old and I have been hustling and working long hours to yep. build everything that I have in my life. And it's time to actually scale back. Yes, it is. That's funny. Melissa uh, and Siobhan, who both run, Siobhan runs our video part department. Melissa is my COO. And I remember we were in a meeting and after we got to know the client really well, like they're like, oh, so you're the CEO. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the CEO. What do you mean? So it was really good. It was awesome that they just thought that, that Siobhan and Melissa ran the whole company, which they do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I just, I don't know, it made me feel really good that, that you know, I like to be that hidden CEO. But sometimes I'm like, I, I also want to be like, wait a minute, I'm the CEO, you know, at the same time. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a great feeling. But, you know, in order to do that, you have to let go of one thing. And of course, you're probably thinking you have to let go of control. Control yeah. is not what you need to let go of. What you need to let go of is perfectionism. Yeah. People are going to make mistakes and you've got to be okay with those mistakes. You've got to let people make mistakes and not think that your whole business is going to crumble because somebody made a mistake. And that is the biggest reason that business owners can't let go yeah. is because they're so married to perfection. It's got to be done exactly the way I do it or, oh, my God, the business is going to crumble. And yeah. that's just not true. Yeah, that's a hard thing. I think it's when you make mistakes as a business owner or a client's not happy with some work that you've done or, or you lose a contract to somebody, one of your competitors. I think it's really easy. I know it's easy for me to get in that place where we're going, well, we must not be very good. And I think yeah. that's, that's a very dark path to go down. I've been down it. Um, and it's hard to get out of. And I think that's a lesson that I think if you could learn one thing about starting your business is, is that, is that, you know, don't let those little things get you down and, and mistakes are just fine. So that yeah. brings us perfectly into the next section, which is mistakes. And what is one thing, Lisa, that you would tell? <laughs> I always tell people like, look, I don't have all day to tell you all my mistakes, but what's one thing or what's the biggest mistake? It's something you could tell somebody, hey, definitely don't do this if you're going to start a business. What would it be? Well, I would have told you, yeah, I would have told you the cash flow thing, but I already told you that. Yep. So the second biggest mistake that I am going to say is learn what sunk costs mean and don't stay committed to a poorly performing employee on your team because you have sunk money into them. So 
there are people on your team that are going to be great and there are people on your team that are not going to be great. And sometimes those people are so embedded into your business that the thought of letting them go is crippling. And all of a sudden, yeah. it's like they're running your business instead of you're running your business. Don't be afraid to rip that Band-Aid off yeah. and bring somebody else in. Don't hang on to the wrong people in your business because the longer you hang on to those people, the worse it gets, not better. Yeah, and that's hard. That Band-Aid hurts when it comes off, but it doesn't hurt for very long. And, and it's hard to do, especially if you're a people person. And, and you know, you think, I, I think as a leader, you're always, I'm a former educator, I'm always, my thought process is I can make them better. And that's my job to make them better. But sometimes, a lot of times, you can't. Right. And, and you know, I think sometimes you also have to recognize that your business is growing and changing. And sometimes the person you hired right. five years ago isn't the same person you need five years later. You know, a client, I had, I had hired someone in my team. They worked for me for a long time. They were loyal. They were committed. They were hardworking. And when I did the Clifton Strength Finder for my entire team, I rec realized that they were being hired to do tasks around execution and they had absolutely zero execution strengths. And that's why they kept dropping the ball. And so, you know, sometimes they're the right person when you're in startup mode because they're a jack of all trades, master of none. So they help you actually get moving. Yeah. But then later on, you need them to be a specialist, not a generalist. And it's the wrong person. Yeah, and you, you just have to recognize when the time comes. And I think you have to let people go with dignity and respect. You know, this person that needed to be exited out of my team that took me too long to exit is a great person and I have a lot of gratitude for what they did in my company but at the end of the day I needed to give them lots of notice to be able to prepare to do what was best for them but I needed to make a decision for the business not a decision yeah. based on my emotions that's, that's a really hard thing for me to do I think it's hard for a lot of people for me it's very difficult but it's you know it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do but it, you know immediately afterwards I think and especially the next day it's like ah. Oh, well, here's something I read that Tim Ferriss wrote years a couple of years ago. Who are the 20% of people or things that are causing 80% of your stress and frustration? Yeah. And when you ask yourself that question, the first thing that pops into your mind is the thing you got to handle right now. That's right. That's 100% correct. So what about you, Lisa? What do you have to work on? Um, you can't say nothing, but what's your what's your biggest <laughs> fault and 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 how are you how do you tackle it and if you're like I am I have multiple faults and I have to work on them every day sometimes I work on them and it works and sometimes I don't but what's a fault that you have that you know you always have to keep yourself in check mm, there's so many yeah yeah so I think you know one of my one of my weaknesses is underestimating how long it will take to do something yeah. and so I end up delivering sometimes just in time because I procrastinate. And if you understand anything about psychology, procrastination is a classic symptom of self-sabotaging. Oh. And if you are self-sabotaging and you peel that onion back, that means that there is something in you that is lacking confidence, which is why you are trying to self-sabotage. So maybe you don't believe in yourself as much as you should. And I think that that is probably the biggest area to work on is really believing 
myself that I am making a huge difference out there. And sometimes the mirror reflects that to me and I feel really great about the work that I'm doing. And sometimes the itty bitty shitty committee takes over and I start to doubt myself. And so I hate that committee. Yeah, me too. And so describe me to a T and I think it's it's common in business owners maybe and especially entrepreneurs, I think it's a common. I've heard it, you know, John Lee Dumas talks about it, Tim Ferriss talks about it. But, I mean, that is me. I, you just described I have a project right now that I've been putting off and putting off and putting off. And it's, it's exactly why I'm putting it off is, is that confidence or that worry, I think. And so it does, it's a double. It's, it, it's the worst thing ever because not only am I not doing it because I'm worried about it, but then I'm worried about it because I'm not doing it. It's terrible. Right, right. And so what I would tell you to do is get somebody to do it with you. Yep. So I have a client and I I love her. She is a classic procrastinator and she knows that if she needs, if she really needs to get something done, she needs to hire somebody to sit and do it with her. And when she hires somebody to sit and do it with her, it gets done. And so I think that's the thing. When you actually invest money and set aside a day and you say, I'm going to do this project and you need to come and help me and you bring somebody in specifically for that reason, you actually move past the insecurities that are keeping you stuck. That's interesting. And even probably bringing somebody on your team that's there and say, look, sit next to me and don't let me go anywhere until we get this done. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Let's talk about work-life balance. I don't love that term because I feel like if you have a job that you love and that you do well and employees that you like and things are going well, that the work-life balance is easy to figure out. But as entrepreneurs and cell phones and computers and clients with access to you 24-7, it's sometimes hard. And, mm-hmm. and there's this whole hustle thing that's going on right now, and there's this, if you're not working mentality, you're losing money. And, and Oh, God, yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk oh, yeah. perpetuates that yeah. every single day. Work yeah. harder, work longer. Yeah, do like, you yeah, not do it enough. You don't I do it enough. I can't oh, do please. it. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> how do we do that, and how do you do it specifically? And how do you talk to your clients about that? And you know, how do we have that balance without feeling guilty? Well, about missing work, about missing work. Not, I mean, we feel guilty because we don't spend time with our family. That's, that's guilt one. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I go home and I have a two year old and we've got three children and she, you know, needs my attention and I'll be on the computer and I, I feel guilty that I'm not with her. But then when I turn the computer off, sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, I should be working on the CEO. Yeah. You see, I'm, I don't have kids. So in that respect, I have a little bit of a past and I'm married to an entrepreneur. Okay. However, I'm married to an entrepreneur that will, you know, call me out when I'm on my phone too much or on my computer too much. Very so cool. let me just back up and say, every November, I host a upcoming year planning workshop and I take people through my process. And my process is I start with a calendar for the upcoming year and I block out all of the time off that I want. I block out vacation time. I block out long weekends. I block out days that I want off or days that I want to work in the business. I start with a blank canvas and I plan all of that first and then I fill the business stuff in around that. That's really good advice. Now you do that for the entire year? Yes. That's really good advice. Yes. My Christmas holidays for 2017 are already planned in my calendar. 
My summer holidays are already planned in my calendar. The week I do a big event every year called Money Mindset and Marketing. The week before that event, the week after that event is already blocked in my calendar. Like I literally go through and plan all the time when I am not available. And I typically do it in October, November for the upcoming year before my calendar starts to get busy. The second thing that I do is I create theme days in my business. So Monday is I work with my team day. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are I work with client days. And Friday is my catch-all day. You should leave the office by noon day. So I literally theme out my days. Tuesdays, I work with my private clients. Wednesdays and Thursdays, I work with my group coaching clients. And I schedule my theme days every other week so that the weeks in between are actually open for me to work on the business instead of in the business. And so I think when you actually build out that framework, it helps you create some balance provided you stick to the rules that you set for yourself. And so speaking of that and speaking of, you know, the disease to please, a lot of times what I do is I hand the expectations over to someone on my team and I get them to manage my calendar. Because if a client says to me, oh, could you please just fit me in, then I might do it. But if I say to Rose, don't let anybody into my time here, here, and here, she will be the gatekeeper. So that's, that's one of the ways that I structure my year. And then every morning, I get up at 6 a.m. And I take my dogs out. My husband makes me coffee the night before. I sit on the couch. I meditate, I read, I write in my gratitude journal. Like I really take an hour in the morning just for me. And that really contributes a lot in terms of balance for my personal life. On the back end of that, I have not mastered the don't touch your phone after seven rule. Yeah, that's tough. I I try to leave it, you know, and this is silly, but try to leave it on the counter in the kitchen and not bring it in. Yeah, um, try is a weak word. I feel like, yeah, I feel like a little kid, you know, like I want some I want to get in trouble cuz I'm doing too much screen time, you know what I mean? But yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that a lot and that morning ritual is super important and I know I I, I do it I, and I work out in the morning sometimes too, but then when I was doing the meditation and getting up just a half hour earlier and not just like getting out of bed, drinking coffee, going shower and then leave. Uh, it really makes a difference. Just that extra half hour in the morning to do just, you know, journaling is great. Meditation is great. That really sets your day up and it's super mm-hmm. important. It doesn't take, I mean, it takes literally a half hour to even if you have that in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. I should exercise every day. I don't. Yeah. I do a better job of exercising in the mornings when we're in Florida because I like to walk in the neighborhood. Right. Uh, but where I live in Nova Scotia is not as conducive to that. I have a treadmill, but I don't love exercise, so yeah. I kind of suck at that. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about employees for a minute because you. I like what you said about the entrepreneurs online that you can just use a VA or whatever. And I just, I, you know, we didn't build our company like that. And then sometimes I see that and go, boy, that would be nice. But I, I, I really wanted to build a company that had great employees that had great jobs that love what they did and, and never had to do anything different. And I think we're building that and have that, those pieces. But um, how do you, I think we know how to get good employees. I think we're both pretty good at that. But how do you keep them? And how do you, how do you make them, and this is hard to do, but how do you make them as passionate as you are? 
about the business because that's tough because they're not going to be because essentially they're just employees and it's a job. I have two millennials in my office that work later than I do every single day. And I tell them to go home early and I can't get rid of them because they love what they do. And so what I would say is you need to love the people that you hire and you need to practice filling their cup. And what I mean by that is feedback fuels people. And a lot of CEOs are stingy with feedback. They don't tell people what a good job they're doing. They don't tell people the difference they make. They don't um, specify the skills that they're bringing to the table and the value that it's creating for the business. They don't express their gratitude and appreciation for what people are doing. And I think that that's why people quit their bosses is because they don't feel valued and appreciated. So I try to do things to make my team feel valued and appreciated all the time. You know, whether it's buying them a book to read, whether it's, you know, pizza and wine on Fridays in the office, whether it's, um, you know, bringing them to my big event in Ottawa every year, uh, taking them out for a nice dinner. Like, I just try to treat them really, really well. And I think you can treat people well and still have performance conversations when you need to. I think they're two separate things. Well, I think it makes those performance conversations easier if you're on the other side going, hey, really good job on that proposal. That went really well. I think those performance ones are a little bit easier. Exactly. But I think it needs to be more than just really great job on the proposal. Yeah, I, I think it needs to be you did a really great job of outlining exactly what the client needed in this proposal. And the the, the result of that is we just acquired a $20,000 piece of business because of your work. Right, right, like right. It's, it's about really helping them see the value that they are creating for the business. And also, you know, understanding where do they want to go i mean this this girl rose that i just hired the reason that she left the company she was working with is she felt like she was done learning so i'm like girl you're gonna get an avalanche of learning here so i buy programs and things for people to learn invest in their learning all the time because i really want to create a culture that values and appreciates the people that work here and you know if somebody comes to me and says i need to leave an hour early today is that okay they don't get like drilled about leaving early absolutely it's okay you put in so much effort here go (laughs) we want you to go and i have to tell that to my employees a lot like get out of here like i don't want you to come in on friday you've been working you know take Mm -hmm. the day off get out of here and they always ask it's so funny that both of them ask and and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You don't have to tell me that you're going to take a half day. Just do it, you know. Yeah. I mean, thank you for telling me, but. Yeah. I mean, uh, the manager that I have on my team just celebrated her five-year anniversary. I have another guy on my team who's been with me four years. Cool. So I typically end up with people staying. Yeah. You know, Diana has said to me, my next job will be my own business. I'm going to work with you as long as I can to learn everything that I possibly can. And when I'm ready to leave, I'm leaving to open my own company. Very cool. So it's, I think it's about understanding and giving people permission to want to leave at some point. Like I want to help her learn about business so that she can start her own business someday. I don't expect people to stay forever, but when they're here, I want to treat them 
like they are a really valuable asset because they are. Hi, everybody. Brian here real quick. This episode of The Business Machine is sponsored by the one and only Michigan Creative. That's right. Michigan Creative sponsors this Business Machine podcast for now. So if you have other sponsors that would be willing to sponsor our little Business Machine podcast, it's a great resource for business owners across the globe. And this one is sponsored by us here at Michigan Creative. Michigan Creative is a full-service marketing and design firm in Lansing, Michigan. We provide mobile-friendly websites, digital marketing, video production, branding, graphic design, and much, much more. So we'd love to work with you uh, wherever you are, and we really just want to talk to you. So if you want to just talk to us here at Michigan Creative, you can call me. My cell phone is 517-899-4533, or just visit michigancreative.com. All right, back to the show. All right, Lisa, let's uh, get to these last few questions here. Give us a, give us one of your quotes. Uh, I like quotes. I use them a lot, almost probably too much, but give me a favorite quote. Um, I love Eleanor Roosevelt's quote, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorites. Uh, Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world is another one that I really like. Yeah, I like both those too. I hadn't heard the Eleanor one before too. I really like that. Yeah, I actually have that on a necklace. My husband had it engraved on a, a necklace for me. I think it's a really, really powerful quote. And I just posted one on a Marilyn Monroe quote on Facebook. Yeah, I'm just looking for it right now. If I observed all the rules, I'd never have gotten anywhere. I think that's a great, a great quote too. I really like that too. Mm -hmm. If you got a dinner with any business owner or any person, I guess who would it be? A tough decision if i had to go to dinner with any business owner i think i would want to have dinner with tony robbins and oprah winfrey yeah i think both those people and i saw that i saw a few pictures with you and uh oprah but i think you know when you really look at both tony and oprah if you look at the length of their career and kind of where they started you know i think and even people of, of some of our generation you know who work for us the millennials like they, I don't even know if they know how big of a deal Oprah's show was when it was mm-hmm. in its prime. Like I don't even know if they think of her anymore like that. But that was the number one rated show for a very, very long time. And mm-hmm. then Tony Robbins has been around forever, mm-hmm. um, doing what he's doing, and he's he's transitioned very well into the digital world versus the tapes. And you know, I think those two people are really interesting. That you know, you, you hear Tony Robbins' name, and you're like, oh my gosh, that guy's still doing stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like he's been around forever, and he has. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're both rags to riches stories, sure, right? Exactly. They didn't 100%. start out. They didn't start out with a silver spoon, and so I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who build something out of nothing. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just I, both those people just fascinate me, and then just you know thinking about where they started, what they started with, and where they are today. You know, it's mm-hmm. amazing. What's some uh, technology you can't live without? Some software that you guys use uh, there that you cannot live. Mm, well, I have a love-hate relationship with it, but I'd have to say Infusionsoft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it, you know, it, it really sets up all of our automation so that we can communicate with our clients and sort our clients and ensure that people are tagged for the right things and that they get the right things yeah. and all of that. So I've used Infusionsoft for a long time. It was a decision that I made. I knew I needed Infusionsoft if I was going to build a business, if I was going to take my business from five to six figures. Yeah, right. And 
I think I've used it since 2010 now. Oh, wow. Okay. So still love hate, right? Still love hate, but it works. <laughs> and, it you know, I watch all these people go through, oh, convert kit yeah. and um, entreport. And I think, you know, you could change, but you're just going to get more of the same. You're yeah. going to get the, the level of time and effort that it would take to move oh, to gosh, me yeah. does not exceed the benefit of something new and shiny. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. So a couple of things before we end here. Um, one, I want to know how to best get in touch with you to work with, but I want to talk about your book for a minute because I think that's a pretty big accomplishment and it looks like it's doing really well or has done really well on Amazon. It's been out for almost a year, correct? Yes. Yeah, talk about that real quick and, and what's in it and, and the process of it. I'm, I'm curious to know how hard it was. and what. Ridiculously hard. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, and, and tell me what's in it. and. Now that it's it's the wounds are, are healed from that process and it's going really well, you know, uh, what's in that book and why should somebody uh, get it? Why should I read read that book? Well, my book is really my framework in terms of how to build a successful business. So there are four different sections in the book. Uh, there's a section around your business foundations and how to build you know, your revenue model for your business. Uh, there is a section around um, content and why content is really the vehicle that helps you establish credibility and gain attention online. There's a section around uh, social media and how social media can help you in your business and why you need to be what I call a swift marketer. Yep. And swift for me stands for see what's in it for them instead of being a whiff of marketer, which is what's in it for me. And then the last section is all about selling. You can't run a business unless somebody's buying from you. Yep. Sales, and so sales and cash flow, yep. That's why I've heard exactly. that so many times. Sales you can talk about all the great things you want to do for your employees and all the great things that you want to be, but unless you have sales and cash flow, you can't do any of those. Exactly. And so I have programs that I teach people that are related to building your business foundation and structure and understanding money and understanding content and understanding selling and social media. And so the book is really taking my concepts and creating a framework that basically shows you a little bit of everything you need to start and build a successful business. So even if you have a business, this book will show you where you're missing things in your business. And uh, it was really hard to write. I, I spent a lot of money on the, the book. I actually hired a writing coach wow. and I wrote the framework for the book. And then she interviewed me and transcribed the interviews. Then an editor worked the transcriptions. And then chapter by chapter, I went through and did my own edits to each chapter. And then I sent my manuscript to Chris Brogan. And he basically tore it apart and told me it was shit. <laughs> and uh, I love him for doing that because... Then I, I went back to the drawing board and I went through the entire book and re-edited the book so that there was stronger linkage from chapter to chapter. Because when I did the book the way that I did, it was almost like each chapter was a standalone. And Chris gave me some solid feedback. I'm very grateful. I thank him in the book for the time and feedback that he gave me. I think his feedback made it a much better book. But it was painful 
to get through it. And the only reason I got through it was because I started getting up at 5 a.m. and dedicating five to seven every day to getting it done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was hard. Yeah, and But, you know, the other thing is when you put it out there publicly and you say your book <laughs> is going to be released by such and such a date right. and then you plan a big event and your big event is going to be your book release, well, you got to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> So it's called Pilot to Profit, Navigating Modern Entrepreneurship to Build business, build Your Business Using Online Marketing, Social Media, Content Marketing, Sales. You can get it on Amazon, and you can also go to lisalarder.com backslash book, and it'll also be in our show notes, too. So check that out, and we can get hold of you, Lisa, on your website, lisalarder.com, correct? Is there another way that we should maybe get to know you a little bit better and, and see how we can work together? I think my website is the, the best starting point. You can find all the social networks that I'm on through the, the website. So if you want to creep my social media to get to know me there, you can do that. Um, sign up for my blog. I won't be offended if you unsubscribe. I think we ship pretty good content every week to yeah. help business owners. So really the website is the, the best place. All right, last question, Lisa, and it's a big one. But what do you think or what do you hope your legacy will be? I hope that my legacy will be that I have inspired millions of people to actually build successful businesses and make money without feeling bad about it. Right. I think there's a lot of uh, negative emotion attached to making a business. There's a lot of people out there that work really, really, really hard and they don't pay themselves. And they don't pay themselves because they don't understand how to run their business. And I want to change that. It makes me sad when I see entrepreneurs, you know, investing all of their money into the business and not taking any money out of it. Right. And I think you can build a successful business and pay yourself well doing it and still treat your customers and your employees well. I love that message for our business owners because that's hard. And, and I love that. that I think it's you're worth it, and I think they're worth it, and I think that's a good message to have. So, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing everything that you shared today. We're really uh, honored to have you on, and um, I just think that this is going to be a great episode for all of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great chatting with you. Great questions. I love them. They're good. hard. Thank you. Yeah, they're fun. I'm, I just hope somebody doesn't turn them around and ask me because I don't know what I would say. <laughs> you should do that. You should, should have somebody else be the host, and you should be interviewed on the show. There you go. You got to do that. That'd be a winner. Well, thank you again, Lisa. Lisa thank Larder, you. thank you so much. She is helping clients all over the world, and she's from Nova Scotia. And you can get her book, Pilot to Profit. Check her out. She's all over Facebook, on Twitter, obviously on LinkedIn, and check out our website at lisalarder.com. With that, remember, I'm Brian Town, the host of the Business Machine and owner of Michigan Creative. And remember, everyone. A great leader makes everyone around him or her better than they are. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next one.